This is Andy Gamers Podcast number 28, recorded on Thursday, March 18th, 2010, from atop Mount Osso. Welcome to the Andy Gamers Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Minto, also known as Vamptvo, and I have two special guests with me today. The first is Frederick Schott. He is a translator and general Osamu Tezuka scholar. Would you like to introduce yourself, Fred? Uh, sure. I live in the Bay Area in California, and I work as a writer, translator, and interpreter. I have a long history with uh, the Astro Boy series, but uh, you guys may, nor- no- may know more about some of the details than I do. Um, and specifically, today we're going to be talking about a story called The Greatest Robot on Earth from Astro Boy, which you have translated two of the two of the versions of, if I am not mistaken, correct? I, I translated the Dark Horse version of Astro Boy, which is the original Tezuka uh, series, which is 23 volumes. And then with my friend Jared Cook, I uh, also translated um, Rasa Naoki's interpretation of that, which is called Pluto. And which that, we'll, we'll uh, also I, be talking about tonight. Yeah, I believe the last volume just is on sale right now. That's it, um, But that's based on the original Astro Boy story, loosely. Yeah. The other guest is Ed Sizemore, who is a manga blogger from Manga Worth Reading. Uh, hi, Evan. Yeah, I'm, I'm just a reviewer, writer for uh, the Manga Worth Reading uh, website, and then uh, am guesting on some podcasts recently. So uh, thanks for let, having me on. Of course. All right, so we're going to start off with describing this story, because uh, Astro Boy is not as commonly known as it should be. And not a lot of people actually know the, the details of this story, other than, you know, people who consistently read a lot of Tezuka. The story is, it's called The Greatest Robot on Earth. It's contained in Volume 3 of the Dark Horse release of Astro Boy in English. And it's the story about a robot named Pluto, who was created for the sole purpose of destroying the seven most powerful robots on, on the Earth and becoming the greatest robot on Earth, hence the title. One of those seven robots is Astro Boy, who is the, the famous boy robot from Osamu Tezuka's series. Uh, and this is an old series, uh, I mean, for anybody who's not familiar with it, Astro Boy is from the, the what is it, late? It's early, It's from the 50s on is when it came out. 50... Uh, it actually started in 51, 52. Okay, okay. The main characters in the original are... Pluto, Astro, and Astro's sister, who's also a robot, Uran. And it follows those three and kind of touches on the other robots as they are destroyed by, by Pluto, and it, it ends up a final battle between Pluto and Astro, and there's, there are a lot of things going on behind the scenes there where, where Pluto is, he doesn't want to destroy these robots, but he's been programmed to do it. He ends up becoming friends with Uran, Astro's sister, and then he doesn't want to destroy Astro because it would make Uran sad. And it, it's a children's story, but it has a lot of has a lot of things going on under the surface that are very worth talking about. And that's part of the reason why it's been adapted so many times. It has been turned into the original Astro Boy anime, you know, in all the anime versions. So the original one, the nineteen eighty one, and the two thousand three version of Astro Boy. And it's gone through some changes, some minor, some very significant between those three anime versions. And 
Then, uh, as we mentioned, it was adapted into Naoki Urasawa's Pluto, which is an eight-volume manga. It's a seinen work, which means it is for older men. It's not for boys like a shonen, which is what Astro Boy was originally made for. Uh, and so it touches on on similar themes, but deals with them in a very different manner and, and introduces a lot of themes that were not in the original story. Uh, even so have, I, even oh. I should just jump in and say, I, I, I said this the series started in 51, 52, but the episode that you're talking about is 64, 65. So we have a, a couple topics, kind of just themes and and important scenes that uh, I'd like us to discuss. And I want us to just talk about the differences between the different adaptations and, and how that relates to Tezuka's themes, to Urasawa's themes, to all the the different ways that it kind of changes the message and enhances the message in some cases of the original story. First thing I want to talk about is what I think personally is the most important piece of the story. And that is Astro's choice regarding his horsepower, which I'll have to explain. And by the way, I will be spoiling parts of the story because we can't get into an in-depth discussion without spoiling uh, things about this story. Astro Boy is given a choice partway through the story. He is facing Pluto, and Pluto has 1 million horsepower, and Astro Boy was built with 100,000 horsepower. And he finds that he doesn't really stand much of a chance against Pluto. And he wants, he wants Dr. Ochanamizu, who is kind of his foster father in a way. It's, his, it's the professor who took him in and after his, his original father, Dr. Tenma, kind of abandoned him. So Dr. Ochanamizu is, is he's very, a very moral character, and he is telling Astro that you don't need to increase your horsepower. You know, you have all you need. It's all, like, in your heart. It's not about power, and that's how you're going to beat Pluto. Or, act, or that's what makes you better than Pluto, because he also doesn't want Astro to fight Pluto because he thinks that Astro's power should be used for peace and not for battle. But what happens is Dr. Chanamizu is taken out of the picture. He's, he's kidnapped partway through the story, and Dr. Tenma comes back in, and offers to increase Astro's horsepower. And what we expect in the story is for him to say, no, you know, this is wrong, I should be accepting myself for as I am and not increasing my horsepower like this, but he does it. And I personally think that's very significant. And it's changed in, in the, all the different stories, it deals with this choice very differently. So, uh, Fred, you, would you like to start on discussing your opinion of this choice and the differences? Well, I, I think you've covered um, most of what I could possibly say. The only thing I, I, that, that occurs to me is that, that most people who know Astro Boy, of course, are so fixated on the 100,000 uh, horsepower because that's in the original theme song. <laughs> so to go from 100,000 to a million, for it, it's, a, it's a real amp up for, for most people who who, you know, love the original story because, of course, they're always thinking 100,000. So uh, that's the main thing that occurred to me. And But there's obviously that, that sort of didactic element that you mentioned that um, that makes it interesting where Professor Ochanamiza is, you know, telling Astro that he doesn't really need all that. And, of course, there's a very moralistic component, as you mentioned, in that. Uh, but I think you, you covered the bases as far as I'm concerned. How about... Pluto, actually, specifically, because Pluto deals with it very differently. Not only is it not horsepower, it's uh, kind of dealt with in an emotional framework. But I also think it's interesting that the choice is not made by Astro. Uh, and I mean, what do you, do you think that, that 
Tezuka was really going for uh, for making Astro a weaker character in a way, like making him more human and more prone to mistakes in in making that choice by Astro rather than by one of the doctors? Well, I think one of the issues that Tezuka faced and that all creators of superheroes face is that if you make your character all-powerful, suddenly he becomes uninteresting. So you have to have something that grounds them in the real world. If it's Superman, maybe it's Kryptonite. If it's a robot, it's pretty easy because you can make them break down or you can make them with less horsepower. And I think in 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 this case, it, it was a, it was a nice way to to give uh, Astro Boy a human aspect. And of course, Udang could go around and call Astro a wimp because he wouldn't right. go out and fight and that sort of thing. So it makes the story much more interesting. Uh, so I, th- I think in that in that sense, having this choice between a hundred thousand and a million. Uh, it makes it easier for the kids who are reading the original story, the original audience, whether or, or whether they're watching it or reading it, to sort of identify with Astro as as a, as a robot, but also as a sort of semi semi human right. as a kid. And that's a a real big challenge when you're creating a robot character because if the robot character is too machine like, uh, the kids can't identify with it, and if it's too human like, then it's not interesting. So that's a dilemma that. Uh, especially in in Japanese animation that the creators always face. And it's one reason that there are relatively few android robot characters that succeed uh, in fantasy in Japan. Most of them are not, um, they're not androids. They're they're actually, what we think of as robots are are usually, they're remote controlled or they're piloted by humans sitting inside, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Right. And they're very, it's very hard to create a successful Android robot. So that was something I think that Tezuka always had to sort of work on and, and uh, kind of tweak hmm. to hit this, to find that sweet spot where it's right. both, both interesting and different. Yeah, and I think, I think Pluto specifically touches on that because it, it's very much about the differences between humans and robots. And it, it really talks about how Astro Boy is, or Adam as he's called in Pluto, which is based on his original Japanese name. Is that he's he's incredibly hard to distinguish from a human child because he's so emotionally like one. And Ed, feel free to jump in at any point. Obviously. Well, well yeah. I, I mean, I I did read your review about the uh, thank you the manga, and actually I kind of actually disagree with you on that because, well, because I I think part of to me uh, the narrative framework of the story is Astro Boy learning the lesson that uh, increased horsepower doesn't make him a greater robot. And that it's one of the interesting things when we we'll, when we talk about the differences coming up between the anime and the and the manga, it's interesting that you get um Dr. Uh, Ochanomizu's little discussion at the beginning of the story where he's telling Astro Astro, look, uh being the greatest robot is a matter of your moral character, not your physical abilities. And Astro doesn't understand that he, you know, he's, I mean, part of, part of the, what's fun about the, the Astro Boy series is that even though he's a robot, he, he still has this learning curve that he's got to go through. And so he gets that, that, uh, upgrade. And it's interesting to see, he doesn't learn his lesson the first time, 
when when the upgrade blows out his circuits. Yeah. Uh, the where he kind of gets a hint that he's made the wrong decision is the when he helps the guys out with their with their ship, and he's flying away, and and one of them says he's so monstrous now with all yeah. his power, and I think that's in that that to me is the is the click in the story for Astro, where he's realizing I, I've made the wrong decision, and then later at the the final battle scene up on the on the volcano, when um. Pluto decides to help him save the village. He he. Then I think it, that's when it cements it into him to say, "Okay, now I see what Achanamizu was saying. It's it's the it's using what I have for the right reasons that makes me a great robot. It's not about the ability to lift a, a hundred tons or a million tons." And so, I think that at least I think the way that Tezua wrote the story. It's meant to be a learning experience for for Astro. So that that bad decision in the middle of the story, he needs to make in order to get the understanding at the end of the story. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure what, on what point specifically are you disagreeing with me because I didn't actually, I don't think I said that it was bad that he made that choice. I, I actually particularly like that he made the wrong choice because it makes him a more interesting character. That I, I would say I kind of with everything you said <laughs> well when i read the review it sounded like you were saying that the only lesson that astro learned in that was might makes right oh and you seem, and you seem to be very disappointed about that oh yeah well i guess i i may have uh misrepresented my opinions because what i mean is that he chose might might makes right and oh, that okay. and that that is the wrong decision, the, the readers know it's the wrong decision, and I guess I didn't touch on the fact that Astro also knows eventually that it's the wrong decision. But I, I thought that that was kind of a, a a grim decision for him to make compared to how, you know, compared to it being a children's story where you expect him to make the right moral decision. I thought that was kind of dark of him to choose might makes right instead of, you know, heart makes right kind of thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I see what you're saying. Um, but... In the in the Astro Boy series, those those kind of dark moments or those grim decisions are are very much part of what Tenma is doing. Yeah, yeah. Because you know the thing that always kind of fascinated me about the Astro Boy's origin is he gets sold off as property, right, by his own a, father, by his own father to a robot circus, and I thought. Wow, if you're going to talk about dark origin stories, <laughs> Tenma really, really wrote like one of the great ones. Um, you know, Marvel and DC didn't invent the uh, the dark uh, origin story, and, and so uh, it always fascinated me that uh, when you read Astro Boy, uh, even with those dark moments, it never comes across as as being a dark or depressive series, and that. Uh, you know, I, and personally for me, I always think that that's kind of the darkest moment of the series is when he's part of the of the robot um, fighting circus, and mm. and yet um, the fact that he comes out of that and it doesn't scar him, but he's able to, you know, kind of put all that behind him and and start over is just a it's just a great story of of kind of hope for um, for people. Yeah, I, and actually. I want to. I kind of want to talk about the the anime series concurrently with the manga, rather you know, rather than just specifically talking about the original manga. So let's get into because this this choice 
changes a lot. I mean, it's different in subtle or significant ways in every version of it, except for, I'm not sure, I haven't actually seen the original anime. Uh, Fred, are you more familiar with that? Is it the same choice in the same way? Um, I just watched, I went back and watched the original uh, uh, Japanese version of the 1963 series, and I was struck by how it it pretty much adhered to the manga version. Um, I haven't seen the American version for a long time, so I, I can't comment on that, but it pretty much adhered to the manga version, as, as far as I could tell. Uh, but okay. I'm, I, you know, it, the, the more I see of the different versions and looking through them all, you know, it, it all just... It gets hard to, to pinpoint out of these five different versions that we might be talking about <laughs> what happens where and when. Uh, so I need more horsepower in my brain is what I'm saying. I, I'll, I'll go for the million. Uh, 100,000 is not, not about enough. the horsepower. I, I want a million. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, well, what I thought was interesting is in the 1980 remake, Astro makes the exact opposite decision. He And he actually says... Uh, have the quote in here. He says to uh, to Pluto, he says, Pluto, I'm glad I don't have one million horsepower. I have only a hundred thousand, but I know what's important. And it, it's like, it's very blunt. It's not, it's not the kind of subtlety that Te- Tezuka used. And I, I thought that made the story a lot weaker, that Astro just chooses the right thing, does the right thing, and there's no, there's no subtlety. He's not, he, he isn't given this kind of weakness as a character, he just is constantly strong. You know, there is no kryptonite, essentially. Yeah, I, no, I would agree with that. I mean, I, uh, one of the things that surprised me in the 1980s version was um, taking out the fact that he gets the upgrade and also taking out the um, the initial encounter between Pluto and Astro Boy at his home at the beginning of the story. And, and so... Oh, yeah. Yeah, so you don't get that narrative framework like you did in the manga where, you know, Dr. Ochanomizu is saying, okay, this is what, what makes you great. And then it, it, the story is a learning experience for Astro because that, that whole speech doesn't come until like halfway through the first episode in the 1980s version. So that actually ends up not being the message. It, it's, it's really odd the the message isn't about... Astro learning what it takes to be great. It's, it's about. It's actually about pacifism because you know you have that huge speech at the end, where yeah. the, where they talk about you know one day people you know not just robots but people will never fight, and then they do the the big um, the scenes of all the robots who've been yeah, destroyed the and they, robot ghosts. Yeah, so it, it it's odd how the 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 message gets changed from this. Um, what what makes you a great person to uh let's never fight and and pacifism really is the is the way of the future and that was actually that message was also in Tezuka's manga it wasn't the main one but right. he did have Ochanomizu like like Astro was very very brash in parts of it he kind of was angry at Pluto and he was going off to fight him and Ochanomizu was like no you don't need to do that there's you don't need to fight him because he's not called you know the only thing he's doing is challenging you to a duel so there's no need for you to fight and so that that message was there but i i like that tezuka managed to put it in there without it being this very heavy-handed main moral of it like let's not fight like it was it was there but at the same time it was a learning experience for astro there's a lot of things going on in there 
I think that's uh, something that you can say not only just about this particular episode that we're talking about here, but the whole Astro Boy series. I think it's been really hard when other directors have remade the stories or attempted to re remake the, the stories in animation. It's been very hard to, for them to achieve this sort of balance between being overly didactic and educational and overly just pure entertainment or pure action. Uh, it, it's sort of like, as I mentioned earlier, it's really hard when you create an Android robot to create something that's believable but also interesting and different. When working with anything done with Tezuka, I think it's been very difficult for people uh, to find that balance. And in that sense, uh, Urasawa's rendition in Pluto is, I think, particularly interesting because he, he really nailed it. I think he was able to make something that is interesting uh, and not didactic, but also has a message in it, too. Related to that, we're spending a, a little bit more time than I intended on this, but I also wanted to mention in Pluto, Astro does not make that decision, and I think that is a, a big difference. Tenma makes the decision for him. In the original Tenma, Tenma changed his horsepower, but on Astro's request. And Astro Boy, is, he's essentially dead. He's dead to the world at that point in the story, and Tenma revives him. By you know, essentially, it's it's the equivalent of giving him the million horsepower because that kind of sounds kind of silly in a modern context. So he gives him the he essentially he brings him back to life, and that is his giving him uh, the horsepower. But I I thought that was that was strange that it took the the burden of blame off of Astro for that decision. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know if I had made that equation with the way that yeah Tenma's kind of trying to wake him up um, in, in Pluto because uh, it's odd in, in a sense because uh, I've been thinking a lot about Pluto and, and waiting to, uh, to get my hands on, on the final volume. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, Pluto really is kind of an Astro Boy story without Astro Boy. Yeah. Because uh, he, you know, he goes into a coma in, in volume two and then he doesn't wake up until the end of volume seven. So... We have this huge, you know, the majority of the story arc is the Astro Boy story, where Astro Boy is is taken out of out of the story, uh, and there there are some just really fascinating issues again um, in in that even in that decision. Um, there's a, that great discussion between um, Ochanomizu yeah. and Tenma, and and it's interesting. Like was was Fred was saying, where uh, Urasawa really gets the the underlying um, themes of Astro Boy so beautifully, is because you you see them in that discussion how they're really opposite ends of the of the same spectrum, um, you know. Whereas like in in the original manga, in the original version of this manga, uh, Ochanomizu is all about you don't need the upgrade. And then Tenma is, yeah, I'll give you the upgrade because you can't really fight Pluto without it. Uh, when you get to that, that discussion in volume six, I think it is, um, Ochanomizu is about, is, is all about the strongest force for us as people is love and compassion. And yet for Tenma, it's, it's hate. Right. And, and you just, it, it's interesting because, because Tenma is such, a complex and he's great and, and, and really almost 
well, he's an enigma in, in any version of, of the uh, Astro Boy stories that you read. And so I really like um, Urasawa's take on it is the fact that he brings out that brokenness, that somehow when, when Toby died, it, something in, in, in Tenma something broke. Something cracked, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it broke, and he, he could never get, he could just never get back to wholeness. And uh, so it, it's a really interesting... Um, how Urasawa, uh, you know, just kind of illustrates those differences in, in a much more kind of nuanced and subtle way. Since since he does have you know eight volumes to tell a story that that uh, Tezuka only told in like um, three hundred pages. Hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, but I, and he's also, of course, he's also has an adult audience, so he has a little more a broader palette that he can work with. Yeah, he can work with the idea of hate, which Tezuka, you know, wasn't really able to do with the the child audience in that way. Ed, when you when you mentioned volume six, you meant uh, of Pluto, right? Is that? Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Volume six of the um, the Pluto series, yes. So we got a lot of versions. We got a lot of versions here. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, well, and, and the interesting thing is is um, to talk about the 2003 version. Um, oh yeah, Tenma's totally different. <laughs> Well, ten, not only Tenma, but Astro Boy comes off as a little trigger happy in that version. Yeah. Um, and 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 that version, where is in in the manga and in 1980 versions, there's this pacifist message. In the 2003 version, that's gone. Um, they they in the first episode of that, they initially make a little kind of um, deference, where Astro Boy says, "Well." I'm really not going to fight him, but there's really no conviction to that because, you know, a couple minutes after that and for the rest of the, for that, for that episode. And then all of the second episode of that story, Astro Boy is more than happy to fight. And I found it actually kind of a little disturbing their, their version of Astro Boy. Um, after having, you know, gone back and reread, um, Tezuka's version and then looked at, at the 1980s version. I think the 2003 version in Japan it, it, it disturbed a lot of fans. Actually, they felt that it probably strayed too far from Tezuka's original vision, and that it probably had too much American input. Hmm. Yeah, Tenma is Tenma's the villain in that show, and that is that's just strange. I mean, he wasn't the villain in in the original. I haven't read all of it, but he was not the villain, right? He was a dark, this kind of dark enigma in the background. But he would never directly conflict with Astro Boy. Am well, he I very, right? He that? very rarely appears in the original. He just sort of comes out of the shadows every once in a while and has a little role to play. But he's, he's in the original manga version, at least as as I recall it, he's definitely not one of the main characters. Yeah, and he's he's trying to evolve Astro Boy, which I thought was interesting because there's that line in this story where he says to Astro something like. Pluto's not the greatest robot, and it's kind of cheesy, but he's like, you are, Astro. And I thought that was interesting that that got extrapolated into his character in the 2003 version, where his whole goal is to make Astro the greatest robot in the world. Yeah. Like evolving him. Yeah, it, it really is odd, and the, the whole discussion of, like, robot evolution gets a little weird. Plus, I haven't seen all of the 2003 version. I saw what the Cartoon Network showed... Um, which was about a dozen episodes. Yeah, he is he is the villain of that series, and he 
he is like the 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 crazy genius <laughs> puppet master. I mean, it it was really weird watching that and and realizing um having seen some of the other episodes, he's always like the guy in the background manipulating events and uh causing things to happen. And it's just it's it's just a weird weird take because you end up eliminating so many of the other um uh, cast of characters that the original manga would have come through, so and they all they all get like subsumed into the 2003 version of Tenma instead. Yeah, I have right. to I have to admit that in comparing the different versions, uh, the 2003 series is is the the hardest one for me to like. I mean, it's flashy. <laughs> it looks nice. The action scenes are cool, but it doesn't really like get across the ideas that Tezuka was trying to get across as well as uh, the other versions, I think. Well, and I had um, a question for Fred about the, the 2003 version in the sense that um, at the end of it, the message seems to be it's okay to use force provided that you're allowed to, you're using it to protect people. And I was wondering if maybe they went with that kind of message because of, of a change in Japanese culture, or do you think that was just the American influence of, well, American heroes are always fist first and, you know, negotiation second, and so we're going to make uh, Astro Boy a little bit more American in that extent when we write our stories, or do you think maybe it was a change uh, in the Japanese culture's acceptance of, let's say, the um, self-defense force and wanting a, a much stronger self-defense force, maybe one that even looks more like a standard national military instead of like a, a national police force. I didn't think of it. I didn't, I didn't look at it from quite as direct a political uh, viewpoint, but I, I did um, before, before we started this conversation, I went on the Japanese Wikipedia and I was just looking at what the Japanese Wikipedia says about the 2003 uh, series. And it was interesting because there's a lot of criticism of the series uh, that's implicit in the article, and part of that criticism is not only about the sort of action, over, over, overly emphasized action, but also the didactic quality. And they seem to be implying that um, the people who are writing the Wikipedia uh, articles, they seem to be implying that they didn't like the American input into the storyline. They felt that it was it was not very Japanese as a series, and it was too it it was too oriented towards a uh, an American audience, and that actually kind of surprised me. But uh, it makes sense in a way. Earlier, we talked a little. We talked about Tenma, and uh, I did want to talk a little bit about the the good evil kind of thing between Tenma and Ochanamizu. We we mentioned it, but. My my way of seeing it is, in the original, I see I see it as an angel and devil on the shoulder kind of thing. And once Ochano Mizu, who is I mean, it's it's very clearly done by Tezuka. Ochano Mizu wears white, and Tenma wears black. He you know even wears black sunglasses and stuff. So once you know the the white guy, once the angel is taken out of the picture and kidnapped, Astro is left with essentially the devil on his shoulder, who influences him into making the wrong decision. And Urasawa really beautifully brings that across because Tenma looks really like he looks sad and angry and, and very disturbed in a way in uh, 
in Pluto, and they also he also establishes Ochanamizu as as very caring. He's got that one chapter where he fixes the the dog robot. So he kind of establishes that idea of one being the good guy and one being the bad guy. But it's it's just as subtle as Tezuka's. I think I, I really liked that that it wasn't Tenma's not the bad guy, but he's he's the anti-hero, whereas Ochanamizu would be the hero. What do you guys think? Well, I never, I never really thought of uh, Tenma as being a, a really evil character. To me, he's much more of a mysterious character, and I, I always wondered in the original story, you know, that was always something that was sort of left hanging, was whether he was bad or good, to me at least. Uh, and I have to say that I, I, I never analyzed the story from the perspective that you just mentioned, that seems to be a very sort of Judeo-Christian perspective. Uh, but it, it, it also makes sense. When I, I never thought about it that way, but maybe maybe there is a sort of uh, um, more distinct good-evil. But I didn't see it that way. When I read the story, I always I always sort of wondered about Tezuka because there's good parts of him. And he's sort of, he's sort of a blurred character. I thought he was a great... In the originals, and maybe, Ed, you have an opinion on this, but I thought it was a very good te- sort of Tezuka character because you don't really know whether he's completely bad or good. Right, like a Rock Holmes kind of thing. Right, no, no, I, I agree. Well, and I think um, you can, instead of saying maybe uh, uh, angels and devil, you can almost think of yin-yang because, again... Oh, yeah, in, yeah. In the yin-yang symbol, you have the white and the black. Um, and it, it always seemed to me that, that um, Tenma's part in the original um, manga was, in a sense, to be of the contrarian to uh, Ochanomizu, mm. so that when when Astro Boy needed, when Astro Boy was making, you know, was faced with a bad decision, or I'm sorry, when he was faced with a decision, and Ochanomizu, you know, who had the ability to to make those kind of technical repairs, said no, um, and it doesn't happen a lot, uh, as, as you were talking about, Fred, but the three or four times that it does happen, that's when Tenma pops up, and he mm. comes over to, and he tells Astro Boy, if that's what you really want, I'll do that for you. And Astro Boy's okay. Right. So, it's like a little kid answer shopping with his parents. Right. And so he, you know, he always kind of pops up to, um, to give Astro Boy that, the, the choice, uh, which unfortunately usually Astro makes the wrong choice, uh, when Ochanomizu is taking that choice away from him. So, yeah, it, it is interesting. I mean, I mean, they, they are contrarian. Um, but again, because Tenma doesn't really spend any time, I mean, Tezuka doesn't spend any time on Tenma, he really is just this huge question mark who just pops in and out, and you keep wondering, what's his motivation? Um, he, he seems to, over the course of the series, seems to have some concern for Astro Boy. He seems to be watching over him in some aspect, but he doesn't like to get involved uh, unless he, he feels like he has to, absolutely has to. And then you kind of wonder what's he doing with the rest of his time and um, you know, how does he know to show up when he does? It's, he's just a, a really interesting figure. So I was really glad to see uh, Urasawa give us a chance to, to delve a little deeper into, into the, into the man. It, he doesn't solve the mystery, but at least he begins to give us some insight uh, and some appreciation for um, who Tenma could be. Uh, if, if maybe Tezua had spent a little bit more time uh, bringing him into the series. 
That's all for Annie Gamer's podcast number 28, part A. I'll be putting out the second half of our discussion soon, so look out for that in the next week or so. Also, I've got a giant pile of Osamu Tezuka manga sitting around here that I need to give away for Tezuka month, and the theme month is pretty much over by now. So I'm going to give you guys a chance to answer to win some copies of Blackjack Volume 10. All you have to do is send us an email at podcast at anygamers.com or leave us a comment at podcast.anygamers.com and give us some topic you'd like us to talk about. It can be an anime or game that you want us to review, an interview you want us to get, or some other discussion topic. No deadline for this yet, but I'll probably figure out what it is by the end of next episode, so get your entries in quickly. Remember, send your emails to podcast at anygamers.com and go to podcast.anygamers.com for blog posts and comments. Whichever topics we choose to talk about will be considered the winners and those people will win copies of Blackjack. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next time with more on Astro Boy and the greatest robot on Earth.